Well, we've uh, walked through Genesis 1 and 2, and we have seen God do miraculous things just by his spoken word. When we got to chapter 2, though, it was a little bit different. Uh, we didn't... Uh, Chapter 2, we just don't know God as the creator God, Elohim, a general um, a name for God, but uh, we see him as Yahweh, Elohim. And God is much more involved personally, particularly in day 6, in creating Adam and Eve. You know, in the other days, God just spoke things into existence. He created things from nothing uh, into things that we enjoy, uh, have enjoyed ever since. But with Adam and Eve, God is now Yahweh Elohim, And the Bible says in chapter 2, Then the Lord God, verse 7, formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. God is forming man from the dust of the earth but Yahweh, Elohim, is like a, a potter with clay. And he is shaping and forming and with his breath, breathing life into Adam and Eve. We are much different from all other of God's creation. And uh, we, I read this in Psalm 139, verse 13, that God even shapes us while we are yet in our mother's womb. This is our Yahweh Elohim. He is very much involved in making man into his own image. And so now we come to chapter 3. And uh, as we learn more about Adam and Eve, I want to just uh, remind all of us here this morning that this is this is factual history. Okay, this this is an event that actually took pl- place. It's not fiction. It's not legend. It's not ele- allegory. It's not myth. No. This is a real event, and the New Testament confirms and mentions often uh, the reference of Adam and Eve, particularly uh, in Genesis chapter 3. When we learn about Adam, we see Adam in Jesus' genealogy in Luke chapter 3. Luke... Uh, talks about, mentions Jesus' genealogy, and he traces Jesus' genealogy all the way back to the first man, Adam. Paul uh, refers to Adam and Eve in his, later, in his letters. And they have, um, they have, it has ramifications on even how we uh, conduct life in the church based upon Genesis chapters 2 and 3. Uh, even Jude, Jude 14, says that Enoch um, was, I, was uh, in Adam's genealogy. He was uh, the seventh generation from Adam. And so Adam and Eve are real people, and as Christians, as a church, we must uh, believe this. This is what the Bible speaks of. Now, in chapter 3, we're going to uh, <clears throat> get into two things today. We're going to look first at uh, the deadly dialogue that took place between the serpent. The serpent is really Satan. 
between Satan and Eve and how this leads to shame and guilt in verses 6 and 7. So we're going to be looking at the first seven verses this morning. And as I said, uh, Satan is using a snake to a serpent to converse with with Eve. But it's there's no doubt that this is Satan. In fact, Revelation chapters 12 and 20 refer to this serpent of old as Satan himself. And the Bible speaks of this serpent being very crafty. He's craftier than any other beast of the, of the field. <clears throat> and so... Um, And so we're going to uh, look at this this morning. So with your Bibles, let's look at um, Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say that you shall eat of any you shall not eat of any tree in the garden and the woman said to the serpent we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden but god said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden neither shall you touch it lest you die but the serpent said to the woman you will not surely die For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes to your truth this morning. Your word says that your truth will set us free. God, your word is under attack. It has been so since Genesis chapter 3. And Lord, we live in a day and age where um, this world, the, the ungodliness of this world wants us to question your word, wants to deny your word, refute your word. And, and Lord, there's a lot of Christians today who are confused. And Lord, they don't have to be if they know your word. So God, I pray that you would give us insight. I pray that you would help us to believe what you've said not doubt it if you've settled if you if you've said it that settles it and that god we could be what you would have us to be and when we recognize the lies of the enemy that god we could stand firm we could push against we could deny the enemy when we can humble ourselves before you god you can help us to resist. So be our teacher, be our guide this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. I don't believe that word crafty is an accident there. The enemy, Satan, in his subtleness, wants to uh, deceive 
and convinced that what God says can't be trusted. Um, and so here we see this, this, this um, dialogue that's taking place between uh, the serpent and Eve. And uh, it's hard to believe, it's hard to believe that the serpent, Satan, would convince Eve to disobey God. Because she was in a perfect environment. Her and Eve, they had it all. No problems whatsoever. They didn't have any kids. (laughs) They didn't have any stress with raising little ones. They... They had no hard labor. Now, God put Adam to work, but it wasn't hard work. It wasn't, uh, it, there wasn't going to be, he wasn't having the issues of the sweat from his brow. It wasn't hard labor, but he was to tend the garden. There weren't any hurricanes. There weren't any ridgecrest winds. There wasn't any ridgecrest heat. It was it was an, a, a perfect environment, very much where I was last week at uh, Silver Lake on the June Lake Loop, minus the smoke. It was a perfect environment. There was plenty of food. They didn't have to worry about what to wear. You know, Adam or Eve weren't asking each other, does this make me look fat? They didn't have those kinds of worries. God was providing for their every need. There was no shame. There was no guilt. There was no regrets. There was no abuse. There was no oppression. There was no feelings of inferiority. It was marital bliss. And yet Satan, this crafty serpent, has the ability to get Eve to doubt what God has said. And so here in uh, verse 1, we see Satan's question. Satan's question is this. Did God actually say And that's a, that's a question we continue to hear throughout 2021. Did God actually say? Now, in this conversation of deception, as I mentioned earlier, we see the name Yahweh Elohim mentioned uh, frequently in chapters 2 through chapters 4. But in verses 1 through 5, you don't hear, you don't see or read Yahweh Elohim. God is not that personal God. He's just that general name for God. And here, Satan asks the question, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. Now, that is very subtle. Because that's planting a seed in Eve's mind that we can subject the word of God to our own judgment. Did God actually say that thought wasn't in her mind you know god spoke and that settled it she was to obey adam was to obey but now here comes satan and he's putting that seed of doubt that question that we can we put the authority of god's word to the test can we be a judge of what God has said. And so there, here's that subtle question. 
And he goes on to say, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree that's in the garden? What Satan is saying in this passage of script is what Satan is deliberately contradicting what God has said, because God didn't say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. Go back to Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. What did God say? Verse 16 said, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may eat, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. And so here he's deliberately contradicting God with his question to Eve. He's completely distorting God's word. And how we are seeing that over and over again today. People who are rebellious of God's word are going back and they're rewriting reinterpreting God's word that will fit their own immoral lifestyle. And that's what Satan is doing. He is contradicting, he is distorting the word of God. God never said, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. God told Adam and Eve, you shall eat of every tree in the garden except for one, the tree of good and evil. Even the tree of life, God says, you're free to eat of that. And they probably did. But of one, they were to leave alone. And so that's Satan's goal. His goal is to get us to doubt what God's word has said. Later on in the New Testament, we're going to see Satan try to destroy uh, the person of the word and Jesus Christ. But he can't accomplish that. But Satan continues to work over and over and over today to discredit his word, his spoken word, his written word. And what a struggle it is for many people today to read the words of Genesis 1 and 2 and not believe that God spoke it all into existence. I believe it. And the serpent says, did God really say? And church, as Christians, we need to push back and say, yes, he did and not be ashamed of that. He did it all. But this is his goal, to destroy the word of God, both in the person of Jesus Christ, who he can't, he's been defeated. Satan, or Jesus is victorious, but he's still working on the written word. And so in this this, um, distortion, Did God really say that you can't eat of any tree in the garden? He's trying to point out to Eve, you know, look how unfair God is. Look how stingy God is. You can't trust God. You can't eat of what he's he's created, what he's provided, and that is a complete distortion. God wants us to believe his word. God wants us to believe his word. Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Satan wants us to believe his lies. And when we fall for his lies, when we fall for his deceptions, we find ourselves in bondage, in slavery, living with shame and regret. But I want you to know this morning, if you're here 
and you have fallen for Satan's lies, you know what? And we're going to look at this more in the next couple of weeks. God still loves you. The Bible says, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you. His name is Yahweh. He is the covenant maker. He is the covenant keeper. And he is our redeemer. And he and only he can cover your sin and shame and guilt with his own blood that he shed for you. And so be encouraged by that. But it's the truth that will set you free. What does Eve do? Verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God says, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch, touch it, lest you die. What, what's happening here in verse 2? Three things. Number one, Eve first tries to diminish God's word in verse 2. She leaves out the word every. She says, she says, we may meet, eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But what did God say in verse 16? He said, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Uh, God is abundantly generous with his children. And yet, in her statement, she's just kind of taking that for granted. And she tells the serpent, well, God told us that we can eat from the trees in the garden, but not every tree. She's not really enthusiastic about God's provision and abundance in her life. Then she adds to God's word in verse 3. Look at uh, verse 3. And she says this, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. God didn't tell Adam and Eve that they couldn't touch it. But she chose to add to the word. And in a sense, when she says, and neither shall you touch it, she's thinking in her mind, boy, I can't have anything to do with, with that tree. It's as if God isn't fair. Uh, God is being unreasonable at this point about the tree. And it's kind of like, you know, raising your children. You know, one parent will say, or, um, yeah, one parent will say, no, you can't do this. And they'll go to the other parent and they'll just kind of blow it all out of proportion as to what was meant with uh, the first, uh, the command. As if the first parent is being unfair. And that's how Eve is relating to the serpent in this passage of scripture. God is unreasonable. Um, his rules aren't necessarily motivated by his love. And that's not true. You need to write this down, Christian. God puts a fence around freedom. We all want our freedom, don't we? But when it comes to freedom, God puts fences around that freedom. I heard one um, college president talk about uh, driving by a, um, a field of cows. And, you know, as you drive by a field of cows, oftentimes you will find fences around those field of cows. Now, those cows, if you were to look at those cows in that field, 
boy, they have a lot of freedom to roam. There's a lot of food to grace on uh, in that field. And the farmer has put up a fence, not because he wants to make those cows miserable, uh, not because he wants to uh, take away their freedom, but that fence is there to protect them, to keep them from wandering onto a road and being run over by a Mack truck. That farmer is concerned about his possession, uh, his cows. I heard another pastor talk about they had recently bought a house, and that house backed up to a forest. And uh, in the early days, um, the children, his children would go outside in their backyard, but they would play close to the house because they were fearful of what was in the forest or what might come out of the forest. And so their freedom in their minds was limited. They were fearful and they wanted to be closer to the house because that's where mom and dad was to protect them. But when dad built a fence up to the border of the forest, guess what? Those children uh, played all over that back backyard because they felt protected within the fence. God puts fences around freedom. And God built a fence around this tree of knowledge of good and evil. God did it not because he didn't love Adam and Eve, but he was trying to protect Adam and Eve from the evil that they would learn if they were to eat of this tree. And our loving Heavenly Father gave them that choice so that he might trust them. He wanted them, he wants us to love him out of a sense of gratitude and trust and um, just a pure relationship. He doesn't want us to be robots and serve him and worship him out of obligation or because we have to or because we're programmed that way. He wants us to worship him freely. But he gave Adam and Eve that that choice not to make them miserable, but to protect them. But here Eve has in her mind based upon the serpent's conversation, based upon the serpent's initial question, did God really say and distort what God had say? And she begins to think, man, how unfair God is. And that's the same thing that happens today, church. God gives us his rules for a reason, not to make us miserable, but to protect and bless us. And we need to teach that to our children. Our children are in environments where they have all kinds of things thrown at them. And the enemy is deceiving them big time. Mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, we have the responsibility to disciple them, to teach them the word of God, to help them to know that God's word is true. It can be trusted and it is the best thing for our life, for their life. They need to hear that. And we need to be modeling that in front of them. And so here Eve is thinking... How, fair, how unfair is God? We can't even trust, we can't even touch the tree of good and evil. And God never said that. And then the third thing we see Eve 
uh, do in this conversation with a serpent is that she softened God's word. Look at verse 3. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. What did God say in verse 17 of chapter 2? But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. She left that part out, surely. She just said, it might be a big deal. You know, we, we, he said, lest you die. And God was emphatic, you shall surely die. Now, did that, we'll, we'll get to that in a moment, but did Eve die immediately? No. Spiritually, she did. Adam and Eve are going to experience the, the relational disconnect with Yahweh Elohim that they've been having in the garden for who knows how long. You know, the Bible says that God placed Adam and Eve in the garden. The Bible doesn't say how long that they had been there, but they had been enjoying a rich fellowship relationship with Yahweh Elohim for some time. And now that's going to be cut off. And they will eventually physically die. Now for Adam, the Bible says that he lived 930 years. Uh, He still had a, a commitment to fulfill, to be fruitful and multiply, but the clock began to tick as to uh, how long Adam was going to be on the earth. But Eve leaves out the sense of surely dying that God was emphatic of. And so with zero pushback on Eve's part, Satan is emboldened in verse 4. Verse 4 says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan is emphatic here. You shall not surely die. And in fact, he puts the word not in front of God's declaration of the, in the Hebrew. Not you shall surely die. And church, that is a bold face lie. The den- denial of God's divine judgment. And you know what? The world has been denying it ever since. I'm shocked by the world who thinks that when a person dies that they're just automatically going to go to heaven. That that's who God is. There's no judgment for sin. There's no such thing as a a hell, a eternal separation from God. And I can't count the number of conversations I've had with unbelievers who a loved one has died and they just, and there is no testimony whatsoever, but yet they believe God's going to accept them into heaven for all eternity. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to the Father but through me. We must know and believe, follow Jesus. That is our only ticket to heaven. And yet the enemy has convinced a world that eternal damnation does not exist. And then Satan goes on in verse 5. 
And he says, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You shall be like God. In this conversation, Satan is saying, Eve, you don't need God anymore. You won't need God if you eat this fruit. You'll be just like him. You can be your own God. And how this world has swallowed that truth hook, line, and sinker. The world we live in today believes that we can do it our way. There is no creator God. We determine how we are going to live our life. We determine what our gender, 38 different genders are going to be. That is meaningless when God says that he created them male and female. We don't believe that anymore. We can be whoever we want to be. You know, as I was reading Kent Hughes's commentary on on uh, Genesis, um, he had a funeral director. He had a couple of funeral directors say that the number one song of unbelievers who choose to have a memorial service or choose to have a funeral, you know, there's very few of those anymore. But for those of you who choose to have one, the number one requested song for their service is My Way from Frank Sinatra. And how true is that? We believe that we are our own God. We don't have to answer to anyone else. We're not accountable to anyone. We're not, we're not accountable for sin. There's no such thing as sin. We are free to be whom God, who I want to be. And little do they know how much they are in, in chained to bondage and sin. And so here we see Satan using a scare tactic, accusing God of a scare tactic in verse 5. You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You're not going to die. That's a scare tactic on God's part. You're going to be like him. And look who this is coming from. From someone who wanted to be like God. Who wanted to be God. Who wanted to be in competition with God and got kicked out of heaven. Now he's taking that lie and he's deceiving Eve with that uh, untruth. We can't be like God. And God knows that. And God knows that you and I need to be totally dependent on him. He is our creator. He is our provider. He is our sustainer. He is our redeemer. He is our eternal Lord. And he knows that we need him. We will never be able to be like him. There is only one God. And we can't do it our way. We must live our lives in humble submission to him. Under the authority of his word, believing that his truth will give us the freedom that we long for, that we want. And as we live within that freedom, oh, church, there is great blessing and protection for the next generation. The Bible says that mom and dad, if you're faithful to him, 
not only will he bless the next generation, but a thousand generations beyond that. How I believe that. How I want God to do that in my family, in my kids, in my kids' kids, in my kids' kids' kids. For their blessing and their protection and for the glory of God. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate and also gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate. Interesting thing about verses six and seven. The serpent is gone. He's done his job And so Eve chooses to believe the serpent. She looks at the tree of good and evil. She sees that it's good for food. Doesn't look like it's going to hurt me. Um, Says it's a delight to the eyes. Wow. It it looks appetizing. It's something I want to have. And that it'll make me wise. It will it will make me a better person. And she eats the fruits. She's by herself. She's not alone though. She's got her husband. And she also gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And Adam ate it too. Now Eve was the one that was deceived. Paul is clear about this in First Timothy chapter two. But Adam's there. Adam is has heard the conversation, but he's been passive. When you read verses one through five, and you see the word you. In the Hebrew, it's plural. And so the serpent wasn't just referring to, talking to Eve, but he was talking to whoever was there. And there was only one other person there, and that was Adam. And Adam hasn't said a word. And yet Adam eats. We'll look more at that later. But Adam eats and Eve are both guilty because look what happens in verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They rebel against God's word. They choose to judge God's word rather than trust God's word and fall. And they are filled with guilt and shame and pathetically try to hide it by sewing together fig leaves. They're ashamed of their nakedness. God's not there in this particular moment, in this scene, but through their act of of disobedience, they've lost now that constant communion with God. What they have enjoyed every day in the garden, well, they'll no longer have that opportunity, and they're going to be removed from that garden. But they have lost their their innocence And now they are filled with fear for what they have done. And they fear the presence of God. That's what disobedience does. When we 
choose to believe that we are our own God. We can make our own decisions regardless of what God has said. We may not physically die. I'm sure she turned to Adam and said, look, Adam, I'm still alive. This tastes really good. Have some. And he eats as well. Little do they know how their eyes are about to be open and their hearts are going to be filled with shame shame and guilt and fear and avoiding God. But isn't that what happens when we choose to disobey and go our own way, do it our way? We drop out of church. We don't want to be reminded of our sin. If that preacher preaches on sin, I want to go somewhere else where my ears can be tickled, where I can feel better about myself. And we avoid the truth. This is what is happening with Adam and Eve. And they try to cover it up with fig leaves. It doesn't do the the job. They are still filled with shame and guilt and fear and regret. And what has happened in their life has happened in everybody else's life ever since. Throughout all of time. And it started right here. And guess what? Even though they aren't recognizing God as Yahweh Elohim right now, he's going to come. Just a few verses from now, he's going to come. And instead of fig leaves... He's going to provide something far greater that can cover their shame and fear and guilt. And that's going to be a shadow of what's going to come thousands of years later in the person of Jesus Christ, who is going to die on a cross for our shame and guilt and regret and sin. Only Jesus can cover the mistakes that we've made. Don't listen to the enemy. The enemy is out to destroy God's word. And you know what? He's doing a pretty good job of Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Don't let him do it. God said, you can believe. God created out of nothing everything that we enjoy today. And Satan doesn't want you to believe it. And there are all kinds of philosophies and ideologies and half-truths that are trying to destroy people's lives. The church as elders, we have the responsibility to tell you, to teach you the truth of God's word. Let me just read two verses. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Colossians 2.8 See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. 
There's a lot of opinions out there. And if those opinions go against the Word of God, guess what? It never ends well. It never ends well. It's only the Word of God that can be trusted. Believe what God says. I don't know where that came from. And not the enemy. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, your living and active word. And God, we need it. Adam and Eve needed it, and we need it today. Help us know the truth. We know that when, as Jesus was beginning his ministry, and he was in the wilderness and fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, the the enemy came to deceive him twisted the word hoping that he would believe the lie and destroy Jesus' ministry but Jesus knew the word and he pushed back with the truth of scripture God help us Help our kids, help our grandkids to know the truth. To know that, God, that they can stand on a rock that cannot be moved. That is steady and sure and will always be there. Help us to live our lives, to build our lives on the word of God. Thank you for this word today. Help us to be aware of the schemes of the devil and know when to run. Rather than fail and be deceived. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.